ಓಂ ಜ್ಞಾನಚಿಮಿರಂಧಸ್ಯಾನಂಜನಶಲಾಕಾಯ This chapter is titled The Most Confidential Knowledge and Lord Krishna begins it by telling Arjuna that now uh, I shall speak to you the most confidential knowledge both phenomenal and numinous in other words relating to both the material and spiritual states of existence and then he goes on to say that this knowledge is the king of all knowledge the most secret of all secrets it is the purest knowledge uh, and it can be practically perceived it's not just vague theoretical knowledge but it can be experienced that experience is a happy experience is knowledge is knowledge of our of, of the jivas the living beings actual position so this knowledge brings us to the happy state we're meant to be happy now in the verse following that then krishna speaks of faith the persons who are not faith this verse we discussed yesterday the people who are not faithful on the path of devotion they cannot attain krishna but they fall back into the world of repeated birth and death now in the first two verses krishna was talking about knowledge and then he spoke about faith and there seems to be a digression there are we talking about knowledge or are we talking about faith knowledge means that it should be some fixed principle and faith means accepting something without full knowledge just on principle now krishna began this chapter by saying that he would describe all knowledge both phenomenal and numinous and actually if we consider what is knowledge then knowledge of anything is never complete this is a i'm pointing at a screw in the harmonium very profound screw in the harmonium not a very profound topic but you could spend all your life studying it and write hundreds of books from various perspectives how harmoniums were developed it's not a traditional instrument it was developed what 200 years ago something like that 300 well they first they big church harmoniums and then they made these portable ones and then this design with the folding lid which the screw is in the hinge of the folding lid then you could discuss the invention and development of hinges and what's the different kinds of materials why they chose brass I can't see the screw properly maybe that's made of steel the development of steel and then the, the atomic and molecular structure within the screw and then development of screws and 
who who invented it and where the materials came from and what are the techniques involved in the extraction of iron ore to make it and from this one screw you can find out the whole universe it's only a screw so what to speak of spiritual knowledge are you going to understand everything about it I know everything about God I, I, I know Any, if anyone says I know anything about everything you should immediately pick them up throw them in the garbage bin and put the lid on <laughs> means they're fools this in uh, Prabhupada quoted this Isaac Newton who is considered the greatest genius of his time and is famous in history as one of the greatest genii is that the plural of genius geniuses that uh, you don't usually say in plural because there are not that many of them that uh, even though he was considered so replete with knowledge he considered his position to be something like someone walking on a vast beach of sand and picking up a few grains that was his that's how much he considered he knew when one actually goes deeply into any subject then he comes to find out how little he knows about it <laughs> you see that every What, whatever subject you take up in the beginning it seems just you, know, you read one or two books and it's finished or look at something but then the more you get to know about it the more you get to know how vast any subject is one Ayurvedic doctor I was speaking to Paneri you want to see him? He's Dr. Paneri so he said he's well known internationally famous Ayurvedic physician so he, he's not uh, you know one of these pop Ayurvedic physicians they pick up a few books and declare themselves an, an expert we have in in countries like Croatia we have plenty of them and self-made astrologers and Ayurvedic and Vastu experts but he actually was trained by his father who was trained by his father was, there's a tradition You have to be trained. You just can't think you know it by reading books. So I, I, he's an accomplished physician and famous. Uh, you don't become a famous physician just by hype. You know this word hype? It means uh, just making some advertisement. They, they build an image but there's nothing there but you have to actually be successful in curing people and then you get a reputation so he told me that he's, he's setting up an institute for Ayurveda and teaching it and all this he said I, I really feel I don't know very much about it I, I mean I know enough to be confident to treat people but when we consider the vastness of the science then what do we know so 
then it comes in the question of faith. We're discussing the relationship between knowledge and faith. Knowledge in any field to a large extent is faith because um, the modern system of acquiring knowledge is by research, hypothesis, observation, hypothesis, research, that's supposed to be the scientific method, but it's not that everyone who goes and studies science, not that they verify everything themselves. They accept that other people have experimented and come up with these conclusions and it's accepted, so they just accept it. It would be good actually if they did some more actual experimentation, for instance, to find out if the, if the evolutionary theory is true and then find out that there's still a theory and there's no proof whatsoever. The so-called proof is bunkum. It means nonsense. It's, it's, a, it's a hoax. There's no actual proof. But there their knowledge is built on faith in the findings of others. In the Vedic system, faith is built on faith in Shastra. What's that? That's from They don't, you can't have it so you put your own sound in, then you're going to have Hare Krishna like that. <laughs> you must be having. You have to pay more for that. Huh? Uh, so, faith in Shastra, based on the principle that this world is going on in, from what we can see, to a large extent, an ordered manner. We couldn't study anything if there was no order. Be, if there is no order then in nature, then there'd be no physics, biology, chemistry. Mathematics is a wonder in itself, how there's the numbers, the, almost magically it seems, the interrelationships of numbers at all levels of mathematics. So, uh, faith in Shastra is based on the principle of accepting that behind all this order, there is an orderer who knows what's going on. As the modern Rishi, I guess you could almost call him a Rishi Einstein. Rishi means one who sees. He sees the Vedic sound. So, so Einstein had some not vision into the Vedic sounds, but he had some vision into the subtle workings of the universe. So, his, one of his famous sayings that I don't believe God is playing dice with the universe. His, yeah, playing dice with the universe. His protest against chaotic quantum theory. So, there's order. There's order it suggests that someone put it in order. Just like another story of Newton. 
He had an atheistic friend who believed that the whole universe came into being by chance. So, Newton made a model of the universe as it was understood at that time with a crank, which when you turn it, all the planets started moving. And then his friend came to visit him one day, came to his study, and he showed him this machine showing how all the planets were. And said, wow, that's, that's wonderful. Who made that? So, no one. <laughs> just happened to be there one day, but just by chance. I said, come on. Who made it? I said, I'm telling you seriously. I just walked into my... St- I heard a... I was outside my study and I heard this explosion. <laughs> we didn't have bang, Big Bang Theory in these days. We're just extrapolating a little bit here. And, uh, you know, I walked in and there was, you know, just by chance. Well, that's not possible. Well, could be. I mean, if you, by chance, if you left everything long enough, anything could happen. If you left enough monkeys with typewriters for long enough, they could type out all the works of Shakespeare. (laughs) Come on, why are you laughing? We're talking science here. So uh, then uh, Newton told him that, you see, you don't believe this little model of the universe came into being by chance, but you believe the whole universe, which is a million times more complex, came into being by chance. So who's the idiot, you or me? So that there is order in the universe, there's something behind it, and there's meaning and purpose is suggested by the very fact that we, we find order and meaning, that there is science at all. So, at the same time, our position is like that, I was saying yesterday, you know, ants running around on a little dish, with limited intelligence and limited sensory abilities and cognitive abilities. So, how much can we understand? But if if the orderer or the director of the universe gives us knowledge, then we can understand by His grace. So, faith, that faith is required. It's not unreasonable faith. And now, having made that leap of faith, which you already have, otherwise you wouldn't be coming here, presumably. But sometimes, because we live in the atmosphere of faithlessness, of fuzzy faith. Fuzzy faith means people of blind faith. Fuzzy? No, fuzzy doesn't mean blind. Fuzzy means unclear. Like the, like the television when it's not tuned in properly. Unclear. The, the people this. I believe in Jesus. I have to bathe my body in the blood of Jesus. You're from a Catholic country. That's the Protestants say that. that we have to... They come up to you in America and say, especially in America, and say, have you bathed your body in the blood of Jesus? That's your religion? In the Christian, in the Catholic religion, they have the idea that you drink wine and that's Jesus' blood. So this is, 
some faith is there, but it's kind of ghastly faith, isn't it? Drinking the blood of Jesus is like righteousness or something. Bathing in his blood, I mean, it's really horrific, isn't it? So, Vedic knowledge, it gives us sane faith, but at the same time, uh, it, it gives us knowledge that's based on faith, uh, uh, a better standard of faith. But at the same time, it's it may not. It, it certainly isn't easy to understand. It's it's impossible to understand by any material means. Krishna begins to give that knowledge which to which faith is the entrance. In this verse, he begins to give that knowledge. He states, By me, in my unmanifested form, this entire universe is pervaded. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. Which seems to be contradictory from the very beginning. That Krishna pervades all the universe. And then in the next breath, he says that, I am not in all living beings. So what is the meaning of this? Now we're going to have to have some faith here to, to cross through the the barrier. Yesterday I was talking that about there are three kinds of limits of which Krishna is beyond. Ulangita Jividhasima. Krishna is beyond the three limits of space, time and thought. So it is beyond the scope of our conception that something can be within something and also not within it. Our way of thinking is that it should be like, if it's like this, it must be like this and it can't be like that. That something, if something's in something, it must be, then it means it's in it and it can't be not in it also. How is this possible? Well, then we have to consider what is the meaning of absolute. We're talking here of the absolute reality. Actually, reality means absolute. Anything not absolute is not real in the full sense of the term. That's why this material world is sometimes called unreal doesn't seem unreal. If we slip and bang our head, it seems real, doesn't it? But it's considered unreal in the sense that it is temporary. It's not permanent reality. The, the sensation of uh, having a uh, painful knock on the head is temporary and also it's unreal in the sense that it has no intrinsic connection with the soul who we actually are. So this material world is real and unreal at the same time because it is reality but it's not absolute reality. Absolute that means that which is perfect and complete in all respects. 
Now, if we consider complete, then it must include all possibilities. It's in everything, not in everything. Is in absolute means independent, not dependent on as another condition of the absolute. But while independent, at the same time not totally disassociated from. Therefore, some dependence is there also. It must be the biggest and also the smallest. These seem to be impossible propositions. Inside of everything and outside of everything. Personal and impersonal. All possibilities are there. This seems impossible, but if, if, if the Absolute is Absolute, complete in all respects, then there, there should be no possibility absent in it. If we, just like Prabhupada gave the example that um, of the personality of the fact that the Godhead is personal, that we in this conditioned stage are, see ourselves as persons. So if the Absolute is not a person, then we, are, we have some quality which the Absolute doesn't have, which is not, then the Absolute is not Absolute. So the Absolute subsumes or includes everything, which means that various, what appear to us to be various contradictions must be there. But that is, the, that is possible for the Absolute, because the Absolute is Absolute, that all contradictions can simultaneously reside in the Absolute. Thus Krishna is within everything and not within everything. In one sense, within everything, but in another sense, uh, detached. In his impersonal aspect, he pervades everything. Andantarastaparamanuchayantarastam. He is, he enters uh, within the universe and within each atom. And still, Goloka eva nevasatyakilatma bhuto. His, his reigns, R E I G N S, in Golok, Vrindavan. And in another aspect, which is non different from him, is present within every atom, even within the and within the heart of every living being. So, how is that possible? If he's in one place, how is he in another place? Not possible for us. Not possible for us even to imagine. And we will say, well, if he's in Golok, uh, as, as Golokanath, the Lord of Golok Vrindavan, then how can he also be present in every atom? It must be someone else. It must be his brother or his son or his ambassador or someone like that. But no, it's the same. Krishna, in another aspect which is non-different from him. He can be like that because he is absolute. He's not limited by the limits that we have. 
Advaita Machuta Manade Mananta Rupa Madhyang Purana Purushandava Yobanamcha. He is one person. He is not he is Achuta. He doesn't fall under the uh, limiting potency of the material energy. He is the Lord of the material energy. He is the origin of everything. He has no origin. He has unlimited forms, even he is one person, but he has unlimited forms that appear to act as different persons, but are not. So this is not possible to understand by mundane intelligence, but by spiritually infused intelligence. When we understand that we are limited and Krishna is unlimited or the absolute, which means Krishna, but if you consider philosophically, then we'll say absolute. And then if you come, the absolute means also all loving, all kind, oh, this must be Krishna. And actually that is Him. We say the absolute, that means Krishna. If we're approaching by the philosophical process, or if we're trying to understand philosophy, then we say absolute. And then to understand fully, then he is not simply a principle, but he is Radhanath on the swing with Radha, Gopinath, Golokanath. Here, Krishna is in this part of Bhagavad Gita. Lord Krishna is not describing himself as Radhanath, but he is explaining himself as Advaita Machute Manadhyamananda Rupa, as the. Uh, absolute principle on which everything rests, in which everything rests, who is everything and yet is aloof from everything simultaneously. So this, Krishna says, is the most confidential knowledge. Why? Because that cannot be understood by any amount of, or, or, or any level of material understanding. Einstein couldn't understand. <laughs> He's maybe the most yeah, materially intelligent person, probably the most materially intelligent person of the 20th century. But he couldn't understand, at least in that lifetime, he couldn't understand Krishna. He couldn't even understand what the soul is. So, he was gifted with tremendous uh, insight into the workings of the universe. But some of the most basic principles of the workings of the universe, the laws of karma, how God is working. He himself said that after all my investigations, I simply want to know how God created the universe. But yeah, his idea of God was, uh, if we want to discuss Einstein's idea of God, then we come out as an atheist. So, like most people who say they believe in God. Yeah. So, he couldn't understand such a big brain. Now we have in the modern age there, lauding this, Stephen Hawking as the as the modern successor of Galileo and Newton and Einstein and he's also a big atheist and he's a stupid big big bang theory really stupid but, but a very very intelligently constructed nonsense so intelligently that 
most people can't follow. But Krishna, the, the, the process to understand spiritual knowledge, it's a, it's a different approach actually. And it's not simply by amassing information and theorems and turning them over in our mind and trying to understand. This is a descending process. Ascending means we try to amass information and sort it out with our intelligence and climb the ladder of understanding. Whereas knowledge of the Absolute Truth is not possible to understand by that method. However intelligent one may be, even if one is as intelligent as Brahma, who is millions of times more intelligent than Einstein, he also can't understand Krishna simply by putting all together his knowledge. And he has a lot of knowledge. He's the engineer of the universe. But he, he realized that I can't understand Krishna. Jananta eva jananta kimba huta chame prabhu manasa vachasava manasa vachasava cha vaibhavanta vagochara. He said that someone may say, others may say, that yes, I understand Krishna. Let them say it. But as far as I'm concerned, I think that neither through physical, mental, or vocal efforts. Is it possible to understand Krishna's glory? Then how to understand? He himself has told me. Atashi. Hmm? What is that? Hmm. Atashi. Now I'm reading this. Atashi Krishna. There's another Atta. Prasadaleshan. I got stuck up on this first word here because it's good. Prasadaleshanu Grihite Grihi. Janati tatvam bhagavan mahimno nachanya ekopi chirang vichindran atopi deva. Hmm. He says that it is not possible to understand you, Krishna, by even by studying for many, many millions of years. But one who gets a little drop of your mercy, he can understand. So Krishna can be understood by the descending process. When He gives us the mercy to understand Him, then we can understand Him. And that also not fully. Because even Krishna doesn't understand Himself fully. There you go, there's a contradiction. <laughs> but Krishna's glories are always expanding. So... It's said like that, that Krishna doesn't have... He had, he, of course he understands himself fully, but he also doesn't understand himself fully. And we can't understand that. But we can accept that his, Krishna's glories are non-different from him. That they're so great that they're always expanding. So Krishna's always trying to catch up. Not that he's incapable. He also understands. So, then, uh, these are very high topics. That's why it's called the most confidential knowledge. But Krishna is presenting this here. When we say it's only by His mercy, that doesn't mean that we don't try to understand Bhagavad Gita. Because His mercy comes in the form of Bhagavad Gita. 
our own intelligence is also to be used. Krishna spoke to Arjuna in an intelligent manner. Intelligence is to be used, but that intelligence is to be subordinated to the knowledge given by Krishna in submission and faith and service. Then we are blessed to understand. If we're going to say to we understand, understanding means use of the intelligence. So it's not that you just wait for Krishna's mercy and then it all comes and then you just understand. But understanding means there is some intelligent faculty, use of the intelligence. But that intelligence has to be subordinated to Krishna's intelligence. Then we can understand. It's like getting on the same wavelength. As long as you're not on the same you're trying to tune in on the radio. As long as you're not on the right wavelength, you just you can't understand it. You have to be exactly on the right wavelength and everything, then you can hear very nicely. So, if we're not on the same wavelength as Krishna, then we can't understand it. However nicely, we, however expensive a radio set we have, we have to tune in to get the right signal. So we have to know where to tune in. If we tune into the wrong station, we'll get the wrong message. So we have to tune into Krishna. But that tuning in, again, it's not a physical problem. With tuning in, you can tune by... How do they do it these days? They, when I was a kid, they used to do it by turning a button. A button. It's probably... How do they do it now? Digital. Digital, I see. Okay. I'm a long way out of date with all these things. So if you don't get it right, then... You don't get it. So you have to be uh, right-tuned in. But it's not a mechanical process, like turning a button or turning a knob or typing in the right number, is it? or what? Anyway, something, somehow. But uh, <coughs> the process to understand Krishna, is, because we're this wavelength example is a very... It's a simplification. So to be on the same wavelength as Krishna, one has to come to that platform through service and submission and faith that Krishna is not cheating me. Krishna is, he knows everything. He's the He's our ultimate well-wisher. So that getting on Krishna's wavelength means not becoming the same as Krishna, but accepting one's position of subordination to Krishna. So it's not by any material means that we can understand Krishna. But if we, be, if we accept our position of subordination, that we should do what He wants instead of trying to do what we want, and then we can understand Krishna. Then we can understand everything. We can understand the whole universe. We can understand everything. But as long as we are thinking that I can enjoy separately from Krishna, then we have a different view of the universe. That is called Jagat Darshan. We see this world as a place for my enjoyment. And then we can't understand anything about it. But Golok Darshan means to, instead of seeing this world as independent of Krishna, we see Krishna in Golok Vrindavan who is orchestrating everything 
and we are his eternal servants then we understand everything how everything is going on by his mercy by his direction how we are in this material world due to not accepting the principle of submission to him and then when we understand this principle then we understand that our only duty is to get in line with Krishna to act for his pleasure to act as he likes and that will be that will be pleasing to us we are trying to become satisfied by millions of different means when we become the servant of Maya we have millions of desires and in the modern world they're inventing more and more ways to more actually not more ways there's only there are limited ways because we have limited senses we can eat we can have sex we can see different things hear different things but they've invented different varieties of, different varieties of music and so many varieties of music that we've invented in the modern age and you can go to different places and you can do hang gliding and bungee jumping and, or you can well, there are more orthodox things like playing football or <laughs> playing chess or going out with your girlfriend or, or boyfriend as the case may be <laughs> so there are so many there are so many varieties of things we can do in this material world but they don't satisfy we think oh I should do that that will be nice that will that will give me pleasure and we do it and it doesn't give us pleasure or it gives us pleasure in, in, in a uh, limited manner never up to the level that we expect it to now it's the holiday season people are driving from Germany to Croatia to enjoy themselves and then they go back and they have to recover from the stress and strain of their holiday but they don't have time because they have to go back to work so this attempt to enjoy the material world or understand the material world is always unsuccessful but there's one little secret that if we simply accept that there is supreme orchestrator and our position is not the conductor of the orchestra our position is playing the cymbals or the violin or something we're, we're we are support we are, have a we have a minor role. Then we can be in and we can be in harmony. People like this word in harmony. It's a popular word here. Harmonia. Holism. Holistic everything. Holistic diet. Holistic sociology, psychology, holistic everything. So, so we can we just have to 
we have to understand what our position is within the universe. Actually, our position is not within the universe. It's within another universe. That's why we can never be satisfied in this universe. When we understand our constitutional position, then we understand everything. What does that mean, we understand everything? We, we know everything. Does that mean that we know... Uh, what the people we don't hear we say well a devotee of Krishna knows everything Krishna says Yoma meva samudho janati purushotamim sasarva vid vajati mam sarva bhavena bharata Krishna says that one who without being bewildered knows me as the supreme personality of Godhead the supreme enjoyer he knows everything. And therefore he engaged in my, in my devotional service in all respects. So you know everything. You know everything. So how can we say we know everything? We don't even know the people in the next apartment, what they're doing right now. Or even if they're there. So how can it be said that we know everything? Know everything means we know how things are going on. We know the basic principle. It's Krishna. And there's us. And there's Maya. And we have to serve Krishna. And directly? Directly means through his antaranga or internal potency. Or we can serve Krishna through his Maya Shakti. His external energy. And then we suffer in this material world. So to know everything means we know the basic principles of everything. One of the important ones of which is being explained by Krishna here. How he's within everything, yet simultaneously aloof in everything. It requires uh, faith to understand that. Uh, to, to faith to take our intelligence beyond that which can be measured. Science means to measure everything, isn't it? Well, that's one that's one definition of Maya. Napiyate anaya iti Maya. The attempt to measure everything is Maya. It's an ancient Sanskrit definition. <laughs> so when we stop trying to measure everything and understand that the absolute truth is immeasurable. We cannot measure Krishna. Then we can begin to understand Him. Krishna is immeasurable. That example, Mother Yashoda wanted to tie Him up. She brought so many ropes and more ropes and more and always too short. Because by no material means can Krishna be bound. But eventually Krishna saw, oh, she's struggling so much, my poor mother. Okay, let her tie me up. So Krishna is bound by love, not by any material means. So Krishna can be understood only by the love of his devotees who stop trying to understand him and start trying to serve him. And that is actual understanding. That is the import of this verse. So the philosophy of Krishna consciousness ultimately it, it all leads to and is, is inextricable from bhakti or loving devotional service to Krishna. It's not simply some kind of dry knowledge that we're just discussing some philosophy for the sake of philosophy. But knowledge of Krishna means to know him means to love him. 
अहम सर्वस्य प्रभवो मतः सर्वं भवतेति इति मत्वा भजन्ते मां बुद्धा भाव संबंधिता कृष्णा इज द सोर्स ऑफ एवरीथिंग एवरीथिंग कम्स फ्रॉम हिम दोस हु नो दिस दे एंगेज इन हिज लविंग डिवोशनल सर्विस to come to the platform of love we may first have to come to the platform of respect so krishna needs to be suitably respected if we hear about krishna's intimate pastimes without understanding his absolute position we may consider him in a non absolute way and disrespect him either by considering him a worldly enjoyer and rejecting him as immoral as some people do or we may consider ourselves without thinking like that in another way we may disrespect krishna by considering ourselves eligible to join in his loving pastime without ourselves being free from mundane lust so we we overestimate our eligibility and want to enter the spiritual world while still in a contaminated state contaminated means contaminated by lust greed and all the different uh mental contaminations of the conditioned soul so one has to be become prepared to join the loving pastimes of krishna by understanding his absolute position and out of respect with respect approaching krishna and loving devotional service so the nature of bhakti in the stage of sadhana it is performed with great respect and gradually uh as that respectful service as we develop in that then we can gradually come to the stage of spontaneous loving service but first we should come on to the transcendental platform krishna is giving us the knowledge by which we can do so hari krishna is there any question about this ha ah. please yesterday you spoke about prayers explain more about prayer well prayer is not a thing that is it's not so much to be explained which prayer we should use or it's best to offer prayers in the manner that previous acharyas have done they know how to pray we don't even know how to pray otherwise we'll end up praying for bread <laughs> which god also gives but he has a lot more to give than bread most people pray dhanam janam sundarim give me money popularity and beautiful women 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has taught us to pray. Na dhanam, na janam, na sundram. Just the opposite. I don't want these things. What we want? We want loving service to you, Krishna. Birth after birth. That's why this Krishna consciousness is not really a religion in the in the normal sense of the word. Most people think of religion that God is some cosmic order supplier. He sends us bread and sausages and beer and all the things we want. So, well, indirectly all those things do come from Krishna. But that's not his greatest gift. So, eating sausages means we become a sausage. <laughs> Someone may be eating his father in the previous life. <laughs> if you think about it, it's not uh, very encouraging to go on eating sausages. Yeah, please. Oh, yes, it's good to get <laughs> Sometimes we find it's better not to explain. <laughs> if you try to explain, they, they, they may not take it. <laughs> but... Actually, these books are not ordinary books. They have their own potency. And anyone who takes a book, one of Srila Prabhupada's books, then they attain a certain kind of spiritual eligibility which they themselves are not aware of. And the time will come when they will be ready to open that book. It may be immediately, but in most cases not immediately. Sometimes to worry why are we distributing these books? But eventually people read them or someone else may read it. When I first saw Prabhupada's books in this lifetime, I wasn't ready to, to see that. I didn't want to look at them. My friend at school told me, I, I got some... At the weekend, I went to London, I got some books from Hare Krishna people. One, he was very enthusiastic to show them to me. I said, I don't want to see them. I know these Indian gurus, they're all cheaters. I don't have anything to do with it. I don't have anything to do with it. So I wasn't ready at that time. But later, I was in someone's house and they had a book of Prabhupada's. And they had it, but they hadn't read it. I asked, can I read it? Sure. I read it and here I am so it's it's good to give the books to if you tell them this is a book that uh, will tell you to stop eating meat drinking wine having illicit sex and intoxication and surrender your life absolutely <laughs> to a blue cowherd boy who doesn't even wear shoes 
<laughs> you probably won't take the book. <laughs> of course, to give the, I mean, to give the book, um, we should, we usually have to preach something. We tell people that, what do you tell them? You get peace of mind, mental satisfaction, huh? Release the stress. Release, yeah. Helps you to overcome stress. Ancient mantras. <laughs> Yoga. Yoga is very popular. Yoga. How to be happy. Yeah. Ancient techniques for being happy. <laughs> This kind of thing. Something vague. You know, to tell them very specifically then. Probably one more buy You ever show the pictures of Nishinga Dave ripping Hiranyakashipu to pieces? That might be a good one. What, are, what do they call these people? The punks or something? They still have them around? They're a bit out of date now. I was just reading one devotee uh, in America was distributing books and he showed the fifth canto with all these torches and, and he said, oh, that looks pretty interesting. Yeah. And bought the book. He's showing how people who pull the insects' wings, they also get their body ripped to pieces. He said, oh, really? Wow. Are you distributing Prabhupada's books? That's good. Yeah. Well, generally we find that little talking is good, not too much. Let them take the book. Let the book do the talking. Let Prabhupada do the talking. Generally, if you talk a lot, people go on talking and talking and talking, and then they never buy the book and you just waste their time. That's great. Who else is distributing books? Yeah? Please try. In America, they have this weekend warriors program. They take people out who are working during the week. They go out on Saturday or Sunday. Mostly Saturday. They go and they... Like devoted, congregational devotees? They do two hours, three hours, five hours, whole day book distribution. It's becoming very popular in America. Vaisheshika Prabhu is heading it up. So that's a good program. Oh, this, oh, this was developed uh, here in Croatia, the Shastra Dan program. That you can donate something and then the books will be given out free or you can take them yourselves and give to your friends, relatives, all this kind of thing, or to anyone. So it's a good program. Distribute Prabhupada's books. Best. Uh, if someone someone, what, sorry? Uh, if I listen to somebody, somebody, yeah. so Not much. I mean, they don't get much spiritual benefit. 
If you give the money to Krishna, they'll get some benefit. But if they get a book, they'll get a lot, lot more benefit than getting incense. I mean, unlimitedly more, actually. What is that? Nahisadrisha. Not transcendental knowledge. There's nothing comparable to this transcendental knowledge. Oh, we can't find it. Ah, yeah. Nahigyanena sadrisham pavitra mehavidyate. Tatsvayam yoga sangsidha kalena nani vindati. You have the Croatian Bhagavad Gita there? Oh, that's it right there. Chapter 4, text 38. Yeah. Nahigyanena sadrisham pavitra mehavidyate. Tatsvayam yoga sangsidha. Read it out. So, give the books. Hare Krishna.